Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. This is Nick, live from VR here in Las Vegas. Just wanted to touch base today about hypercleanstore.com. We launched it. It's going well. We can't thank everybody enough. And again, the patience. You guys should have received a couple of emails about our new store. So we just appreciate all the love and support about this launch. Can't thank the team and everybody that worked so hard on it. So again, hypercleanstore.com has been launched. Go check it out. Today, we're going to talk about a couple things. Probably the most asked question I get besides hiring is why I chose the shop that I chose to open, but I'm going to lead the show talking about a Tesla plaid we had in the shop this week, what we did, what we found, little things that are interesting. People seem to love bashing Tesla's quality control, although I think pretty much it's across the board now with most manufacturers. So let's start with Tesla. Let's start with this with this plaid that we we did a full front PPF plus tray all over the car. I'm going to be very upfront. We found some alarming things paint wise on the car, like most cars now, but Tesla's we know are an egregious offender on this. So here's what we did. When we started taking paint readings, we realized there's not much there. We had readings all over the place. The back was painted different than the front, all kinds of different readings all over the place. We did a very, 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 very quick enhancement type of polish on the car. Just enough to kind of clean off the any light oxidation, things like that. Just get the car healthy, make it better for PPF to adhere, make it better for tray to be laid down on but we couldn't aggressively go at this paint. And quite frankly, I haven't found a bunch of Teslas I would go at aggressively. Tesla is an interesting test case for what we're going to face, I believe, in the modern clear coat systems. Quality control with paints just getting worse. There's all kinds of different things that people want to have an opinion about on this. I'm going to tell you, if you're running a large scale business and it's not just you polishing paint, you you have to look at things differently. This Tesla was no different. We did a very quick polish on the car, very, very quick, hardly removed anything, to be quite frank with you, uh, just enough to kind of remove that top level of oxidation and make sure that we have a good adherence with tray and, uh, you know, PPF. So tray went down like a dream. That's the easiest long-term coating on the market. So I don't really need to beat, beat a dead horse here. For anybody that's used Trey, no. It's just so easy to apply for such a robust coating. But let's talk about something we found with the PPF installation. Number one, mirrors now have the black piano trim. You're kind of dealing with some different issues. Let's not get too down the, the rabbit hole with that. But here's something we found. So we laid the bumper on this car after we had already laid the hood and we've laid, we laid a couple, uh, both the fenders and we just, it's just the way we cut the pattern. It wasn't like we have some kind of, you know, certain system, something's got to go before something else. It's no big deal. So we then get to the bumper and the PPFs reacting terrific on all sections of the car. 
we've applied it now on mirrors. We have it on the hood. We have it on both front fenders. It's like, you know, we have no issue getting this PPF down. We go from the driver's side all the way across the bumper. We get to the passenger side where, you know, basically the last third of the bumper that we're doing, we can't get the film to stick. I kind of take a glance. We start looking under the bumper. We start to see all these little spots and it became very clear after we investigated it. This car had been hit. It had been spot repaired. It doesn't look like they sprayed a bunch of clear in the area. The film just picked up on it and, and it had a really tough time with adherence. We didn't have a single issue across the entire bumper, the two fenders or the hood. We had a problem on this one little tiny spot, the last third of the bumper. And man, we had to work some magic to get that film to really lay down into some of those cracks and crevices that exist on a Tesla plaid bumper now. So I can't really pick on Tesla for doing a repair because a lot of people don't know this. I mean, there can be massive damage to your car or a car your customer purchases in a distribution center at a dealership. And it, and it take massive amounts of repairs and it never has to be reported. People can tell you whatever they want, but that's exactly what takes place. And so that's what happened on this Tesla to, to the best of my knowledge. It looks like what they had is they had front end damage, either, you know, again, getting into distribution or whatever, uh, you know, getting it to their facility, it happened at a facility uh, dealership and they had to repair the spot. They did a, they did a good job matching the paint. It didn't look like they had actually sprayed enough clear in the area. We made sure to call and inform the customer. And again, you kind of do things to the best of your ability on this, but it was kind of wild that we had a, I mean, the PPF went down so easy across the car. We get to this last third of the bumper and we have this crazy experience uh, that, that is just, again, you don't have it very often, but you do have it in your career. Uh, we had it recently on a Raptor 37 uh, package uh, that a customer picked up. We started seeing water spots and different things. Uh, when the car got delivered, uh, we also found a repair on one of the mirrors. And it just happens across the board. One of the things I just don't like is how people pick on Tesla. I'm here to tell you, man, if you think Tesla is infinitely worse than everyone else, then you just haven't seen a lot of cars recently. There's just a bunch of bad stuff coming out of manufacturers. It's understandable because they're trying to push cars out. I mean, manufacturers are in a tough way trying to get caught up here. It's just something that's a part of our life as detailers now. It kind of is what it is. So that's what we worked on this week. Uh, we had a couple pieces of windshield film as well into the shop on different cars, but I'll leave that for a different time. I really want to address a question I get so often, which is talking about why I chose the shop, the kind of shop I opened, why I did it, what shop should you open, what business should you open in detailing. And I want to make this very clear. I have no idea what's perfectly right for anybody. I got no idea what, what's right for you, what's right for uh, your family, what's right for your business and your area. All I can do is share how the last 12 years of business ownership have shaped the way that I think today and hopefully give you some food for thought of, hey, that I'll change, I'll change my mindset on this or that. There is no right and wrong in this, guys. And that's one of the reasons Marty and I have always talked about this as 
you know, it's a teach a man to fish type of thing, you know, learn how to fish and you're going to eat for life. Learn how to think through things, learn how to have purpose, learn how to have your own processes. Doesn't mean you're not learning from other people. What it means is that you are doing things in a way that's well thought out for you and stop looking towards me or anyone else as your definitive answer on something. So when I share this story of getting the shop, I want you just to kind of pick up and use what helps you. Uh, this is going to be a more broad conversation about how I got to where I got to with this shop. I want to start by saying this. I develop business plans for a 5,000, a 10,000, a 20,000, and a 40,000 square foot shop. Very detailed, what customers I'd need to bring in, what dealerships I need to do business with, where I was going to get volume on a 40,000 square foot shop, how many team members I was going to have to hire, how many lifts I was going to, I mean, I had everything. Uh, Marty was a part of this process or was there listening to me as I was going through this process. And I looked at every type of shop that exists. Uh, upscale areas, lower rent areas, big shops, little shops, everything in between. And so I want to paint that picture because that's important. I wasn't decided. And I'm not a man that's great with patience. Like my biggest weakness as a business owner is patience. And let me tell you something, that's a huge weakness to have. You've got to be aware if you don't have patience, it can really sink your business in a lot of different ways. And it's hurt me in a lot of different ways across the years, right? Like across my, my career, not having patience, I've made some bad choices, right? I, I, I've gone in a direction, I've had to correct it. Uh, you know, there is no such thing as perfect. And I've made my share of mistakes. And I'm going to share a little bit of my journey right now of how I got to this shop. Number one, the only way you get to this point that I'm at and that, that I think allowed me to pick the kind of shop that I picked was not to have a bunch of debt personally and a bunch of debt on your business. And what I mean by that is, is not some kind of Dave Ramsey type of thought, you know, all debt is bad. That's not what I mean. I see a lot of guys asking me about shops and they got a bunch of consumer debt. And to, to make it very clear, what I mean is you spend money on a credit card and it's for a pair of shoes or, or clothing or food to, to, to feed your family, and you can't pay it off every month. We have a lot of credit cards. I only use credit cards in my life. I got personal credit cards. I got business credit cards. Every credit card is paid off at the end of every month. I'm not going to pay that interest rate. Uh, just not going to do it. It's not a smart business decision. And, and, and it puts a lot of guys behind the eight ball, man. I've listened to a lot of people. I've had a lot of people call me, ask me their opinion. I'll find out they have three car payments at home and a boat payment. And they have this payment and that payment. Look, that's not an asset, man. That's a liability. And everybody should go out and have fun. I'm on your side. I love cars. But if you're in the car business and you have all this car debt, you don't understand the car business. It's that simple. And so one of the things I want to get across is I can't get into the headspace to do what I want to do in my business at this point in time if I don't have my finances of my business and my personal life in order. 12 years in, it's the greatest piece of advice I can give. 
if your finances are in order, you're going to make such better decisions. You're going to make so much more money long-term. You're going to be so much more successful. And you're going to have a word you're going to hear me say a lot, which is freedom. As I started to look into 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 square foot shops, what I realized is I was going to lose freedom. Can't help it. If I make that kind of investment, you're talking about several hundred thousand dollars is going to have to be invested. I was going to have to hire team members. I was going to have to do all these things. I was going to lose my freedom. I have a great life now. I've invested in HyperClean. I'm an owner in HyperClean. It's what I see as a big part of my future. I have a great large mobile business right now. I could have doubled, tripled, quadrupled down and gotten a big shop and had all the plans of what that would look like. But the one thing I would lose is freedom. Freedom to work my uh, investment in HyperClean the way I want. Freedom to run my business the way I want. When you invest in a large shop, this idea you have all the control goes out the window because now every large shop owner that exists is doing business with a dealership. They can tell you whatever they want. They can show you whatever they want. There's not a single big shop owner that I know that's not getting a lot of volume from dealerships. No problem with that. That's just a fact of, was I ready? So I called three or four dealerships that have asked me to do business with them in the past. I've always rejected the work. And I lined it up and I said, hey, I may be opening this up. Are you guys ready to go and, and, and ready to be partners if I do it? I got commitments from three of them. Uh, the fourth one, I, by the time I needed a commitment, I had decided against a bigger shop. But freedom is what drove me to pick the shop that I've picked. Now, when you're first in business, I look back 12 years ago, I didn't have a lot of freedom. And not many of you starting your business, you're not going to have a lot of freedom. Okay. You're going to have to take every job that comes to you. You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to see what works for you. You should be taking every job that presents itself, but then you'll hone in on what works for you. What doesn't, how to, how to really build your business out. The idea you're going to just have freedom from minute one, it's not going to happen. I took a lot of jobs for seven years uh, I've shared this on the podcast before. I lost a lot of friendships. I lost a lot of relationships. I lost a lot of family connections. I worked my ass off for seven straight years, never went on a vacation, never did anything. So I gave up a lot of freedom to get to the point of freedom. So don't think if you're 22 years old and you're listening to this, that you're going to have some massive amount of freedom when you just start your business. Nobody does. Don't listen to the internet. That's, that's crap. You're going to work your ass off. You're going to, you're going to operate with purpose. You're going to develop your processes from the ground up. It doesn't matter if you go to a training, you're still going to have to develop things for you and your business, uh, no matter which way you see it. But I'm now at a position where I have freedom and I have freedom to make the choices that I want to make starts with a financial foundation. Anybody that tells you different doesn't understand what they're talking about. You have to come correct financially to then have the freedom to do what you want. What do I mean by that? Well, I like to look at it like this. As I started to look through all these different options when it came to building a shop for myself, the bigger the shop I had, the more likely it was I was never going to be able to tell a customer, 
F you. And I'm at a point in my career that I, I want to have F you mentality. I want to do business with good people. I want to do business with the people that I like, that respect what we do, that I respect them. Uh, again, it doesn't mean they always have to buy the most expensive service. Uh, don't twist those words, but they have, I, I have developed a community of people in customers and team members that we all understand what we're doing. And when you open a shop and you build it to 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 square feet, 40,000 square feet, you lose the ability to say F you. In a lot of cases, you have to do business with everybody because you need volume, 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 volume. I didn't want to lose that. I want to be able to say no to work and know that I'm making the right decision for my business. If I got 40,000 square foot feet to play with and to pay for, then, then I don't have that anymore. I don't have that as an owner. I got to now lose my freedom, lose the ability to say F you and, and tell people I don't want to do business with them. And now I got to do business with everybody, dealerships, wholesalers, retail clients. And I've learned enough. I know a bunch of big shop owners and Marty will remember this story. I'll never forget that we had a guy tell us this story like right to our face. And it was an interesting moment in my career. This is years ago. Uh, first met Marty, uh, you know, we're talking to a shop owner, we're just all kind of shooting the breeze. And this is what I found interesting. And this actually stuck with me when I went and started looking for my space is that this person basically said to us, he had just signed a new rent deal, the rent had went up because they had developed around him. He goes, you know, I didn't have a choice, I had to sign a bigger rent deal, you know, this and that cost going up. And in the same 30 seconds, he basically says, you know, what sucks is, man, I'm trapped. I don't, I, I can't find a way out. I'm looking for a way out. Well, he had a way out. His lease deal was up. He could have just moved to a smaller space. He could have gone to mobile. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, but he saw it as he didn't have a way out. And that is the, the thing I never want at this point in my career. I've worked as hard as I've worked for this not to happen. Now, things go on, man. The economy changes. There's news coming out. We're headed towards a really, really crazy recession period. Bank of America's lead uh, investment people are saying, hey, we got trouble coming in a big way. Uh, I think it dropped today or yesterday. Uh, you know, I don't want to be in a position where I look at two guys in my business and I go, I have this huge shop with this huge overhead and I'm trapped. I mean, he does work. Everybody respects. He's a great guy. Uh, he's a guy I'm glad said that to me. But can you imagine feeling trapped? And so many large shop owners have relayed that message to me over the years. That wasn't a one-off. I heard it from almost every big shop owner I've ever talked to. I mean, we've heard of people dropping 50, 100, 200, $300,000 into buildings they don't own. And, and, and they're stuck. And they feel like they don't have a way out. They feel like they don't know what they're going to do. And so that stuff stuck with me in this search as well. But let me give, get to my belief. I, I had every intention of opening a big shop until I stepped away and said, I need to identify what I find is important. What's the purpose of me opening this shop? And it was really one reason, actually. 
I can do everything on an elite level in my mobile business. And we've proven that now for 12 years. The one thing I couldn't really do on an effective level was chase paint protection film. And what I was seeing from my customers was bad paint protection film installations, things being passed off that just weren't acceptable for my clientele. And so for a lot of years, I fought it. And then I saw a Range Rover installation and I'd had enough. Okay. And I said, I, I got to solve this. Well, then we had a daughter and I needed to get out of my house. And so now I was kind of being forced into, I'm going to have to do something, not only from a family perspective, but also from a perspective of my clients are suffering and I can fix it because I did film back in the early 2000s when 3M was the only game in town. I had done film installation off and on my entire career. I'd step in and help people with projects. I have the skill set. I just need to refine it. Why not do it? Okay. So now we're talking about, I started to ask myself the purpose again. After I looked at all these shops for months and months and months, I started to say, you know, my original purpose was to take care of my clients better. And if I build a bigger shop, I'm not going to take care of those people any better. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put them on a list and they're going to go down the list as I get more and more volume from other places. So luckily I had the patience to wait and really think through this, which I don't have. Okay. This is a learned behavior. It wasn't something I was born with. A million mistakes that I've made have made me more patient in these big decision type of areas. Doesn't matter if it's a car purchase or whatever. For me, on my big purchases, I can slow time down much better than I could 12 years ago because I'm not born with patience. I mean, in my personal life, we need something at the house. It gets done, done, done. I don't think about it very much, right? I just don't have patience for it. And so I'm glad that in this instance, I slowed myself down and I started to really dig into what I wanted. And that would be the big advice as well. What is your purpose for opening the shop? If it's just you want a shop, that's not a great purpose. What problems are you going to solve? Whose problems are you going to solve? One of the things I get, I wouldn't say tired of, but it's a red flag to me. There's a lot of detailers that ask me about opening a shop. They've never done PPF in there. Number one reason is, wow, the PPF in my area is so horrible. Okay, have you installed PPF? No, but I'll go to a training. Oh, man, it's great PPF work is a learned skill. It's a honed skill. You would feel real bad if somebody talked about paint correction that way. Like you're just going to go learn in a weekend. Well, let me explain this. Paint correction is infinitely easier than paint protection film. So if you don't think paint correction is super easy, why do you think you're going to open a shop and be the expert on PPF? That's why I ask you, what's your purpose of opening your shop? Oh, bad PPF in my area. Oh, I've always wanted to own one. Oh, I'm tired of being mobile. Those aren't great answers, man. And those are the answers I hear the most. What's your plan? Give me your business plan. People don't have it. What are your what kind of situation are your finances in? Well, I got this and I got, okay, those aren't any good. Man, a shop becomes uh, just, it, it suffocates people when you have all these problems going in. And so again, 
we don't use words like passion and hyper clean. We use the word purpose for a reason because it's actually well thought out and it's not a buzzword. That's number one reason why. But number two is for times like this. When I had to look at my purpose and I had to look at what shop was going to serve that purpose, it wasn't any of the shops I was looking at. I couldn't do bespoke type of work, boutique type of work that I wanted to do, that I knew my clients needed, that I knew I saw a need for in my market if I built a bigger shop. It's just not going to happen. And before everybody gets up in arms that you know a shop or you're a shop and you're, I'm not judging anybody. I've seen enough big elite shop work or supposed elite shop work to tell you when you get to a certain size, it's not always elite work. You may think it's elite, but I don't. And I got 24 years of looking at high level work and I know what it looks like and I know what it doesn't. And I know what I wanted for my business. So I made a decision to change everything I thought I wanted in a shop and go in this direction. I wanted a shop that allowed me freedom, that allowed me to say F you to anybody I didn't want to do business with. But what that meant was I needed to rent a shop that didn't affect my business financially. So here's where I ended up. And there's a lot of wisdom in this because I think many people fall into this and they don't realize they do. I have about 500 square feet of office space. I have my plotter in here. I have a couple couches. I have a large desk. I have a nice computer. I have some artwork up on the walls. So I have a really presentable, nice front part of my business. And now I have about a 1,500 square foot shop space that I have Swiss tracks flooring and a, a really nice lift and, uh, you know, a few cabinets and this and that, but it's not a cluttered shop. It's not a, it's not a busy shop. It's a shop meant for one thing, bespoke boutique style work. But here's the great thing about this shop. I've lost zero freedom and I've lost zero ability to say, I don't want to do business with you because here's where I ended up. If I never have a single car in this shop, it doesn't hurt my business. I needed an office. I needed my family needed the home. I couldn't work out of the home anymore, but the finance of the finances of this shop don't do anything negative to my business. I don't ever have to have a car in my shop. It's pretty freeing. That's freedom to me. The next thing is I do one PPF job. I'm cash positive for the month on the shop. I'm in right in the middle of the city. I'm in an upscale business park. I don't have a bad location. I have a great location. It's pretty unbelievable to think about that type of freedom. So that Tesla we did, the shop's wildly profitable already in April because we did a Tesla PPF installation. Plus we did other things in April, but think about that. That one job makes me profitable. The other thing is I didn't build this shop for ego. And this is another thing that I watch so many of us make. I've made it before. Uh, I didn't make it this time. 
is that you build a shop so you can say you have the biggest shop or you have the best shop or you have this. Great. I hope that works for you. In the end, I've seen a lot of those people not be very profitable. They're just flipping money to pay for bills, flipping money to pay for supplies. They're flipping money. I never know what's right for other people. You don't know what's right for me. I don't know what's right for you. But I know if you carry these principles today, simply this. Think about your freedom. Okay? How are you going to create freedom in your business? Think about your finances, personal and business. Are they in order? You got to make that decision. But if you're carrying personal debt, they're not in order. Plain and simple. Nobody carries consumer debt and is successful. Rich people don't carry consumer debt. They carry asset debt. Houses, real estate, businesses, those types of things. If somebody asked me to borrow a billion dollars to buy the Palms Casino, which is right outside my front window here, I'd go borrow that money right now. Not all debt is bad. Make that clear. But you better be buying an asset that's going to make you money if you have debt. Using a credit card and paying it off every month, you Dave Ramseyites, is not debt. It's just a management of cash flow tool, and it's also safer to use credit cards than your bank card or whatever, just so everybody realizes why I'm saying what I'm saying. Freedom. Have your money in order. Ask yourself who you're trying to serve with your shop. Why are you building it? Do you have work lined up? If I built a 40,000 square foot shop, I already had the work lined up. I wasn't going to just open a 40,000 square foot shop. I had the work lined up. I was ready to go. If you build a 5,000 square foot shop, do you have 5,000 square foot of business? Are you busting at the seams if you do 5,000 square feet? Because that's what you should get to. It's easy to think through this. Buy a 2,000 square foot shop, bust out of the seams, then get a 5,000, then get a 10,000, bust out of the seams of the 10,000, get a 20,000. It's really simple. But we don't follow it. This is one of the things I want to get across. Don't build a shop because you think it makes you look cool. Because in the end, high net worth clients don't really care about that. They care about your work. They care about your word and you taking care of them. And there's times when you can take and build a really big building for yourself and it's a huge asset for you in your business. But it's not when you're just starting out. It's not when you're just uh, you know, trying to do great work. Those things don't really matter. What matters is your skill set and your ability to take care of your client. I get asked all the time, if I started my business from scratch and I went to Phoenix, Arizona, or I went to San Diego, what I would do, I'd start a mobile business. And very quickly, I'd start taking over elite clientele, just like I've done in Vegas. Because I know how to attract them. I know what to do. And it's the easiest way to get yourself started and get yourself some face time and build a service-based business. And the last thing is, when I came into my shop, I had built-in clients. 
don't be in a hurry to get out of your mobile business. My mobile business is still rocking and rolling, man. I'm not that, that business isn't going anywhere. I love that business. I love my guys. I love my team. So idea that you're going to graduate to a shop, bad reason to open a shop. Your mobile business should feed your shop. Your shop should feed your mobile business. I get calls all the time. I'm a shop owner. How do I get my mobile off the ground? Uh, dude, you're dead in the water. You've let it slip. Now you're just a shop owner. And you've lost the ability to offer convenience. So again, don't be in a hurry to get in a shop, all you mobile guys. I still have a huge mobile business. I have certain customers that are never going to come to the shop. It's all good. But I made this decision out of a place of power. Business finances were in order. Personal finances were in order. I started to really hone in on my purpose. And all of a sudden, I'm in my shop. I love opening the doors to my shop every day. And it isn't because I have the nicest this or the nicest that or whatever. It's because I, I come in here with a smile on my face and I know, hey, I'm going to record a couple podcasts this week. I'm going to talk to Marty. I'm going to talk to some of you about HyperClean. I'm going to, I'm going to then work on a Tesla Plaid that's back in my shop for a few hours. I don't work on it for eight straight hours. And that's the other thing that's freedom. I never tell people when their car is going to be done. Think about this. My shop is so free. I go, hey, we're going to get it right, and I'll call you when it's done. I don't have that ability to see people, oh, I got two hours to get this done. I got five hours to get I don't have that because I built this with the ultimate freedom in mind. Now, mind you, this is 12 years in the making as an owner. So don't think this happens overnight. But hopefully what it helps you with is what my mindset has been throughout. I sacrificed everything for seven years, didn't spend hardly any money, saved it for my business, saved it for my personal life, and now I'm able to enjoy it. And buy assets. You know, if my personal finances and my business finances weren't in order, I couldn't have invested in HyperClean. Opportunity presents itself. You better have some money to take advantage of opportunity. And that includes building the shop you want to build. So I don't have the biggest and baddest shop on the planet, but I bet you can't find very many shop owners that have my freedom, my ability to say F you, my ability to look at my clients and say, we'll call you when it's ready. People talk about bespoke elite level work. Very hard to do unless you have a setup like I have, in my opinion. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. I know it was a little deeper. I know it was a little bit off topic. It's not just detailing and this and that. Uh, but I get the question so often I wanted to share. Again, we had the power go off here, so I'm going to have to cut this into a couple episodes for those of you watching on Facebook. I apologize. We just randomly had the, the internet shut off over here. I want to, again, thank all of you for all the nice words about hypercleanstore.com and the new launch. Again, want to thank everybody behind the scenes that's working hard on that site. It's really important to me uh, that we've done this. Marty and, and everybody just did such an incredible job. But everyone have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.